Uh, we are 12 messages into our series on 1 Corinthians already this morning, and Paul is still dealing with the first subject of the letter, uh, and he will be through uh, chapter 4 here a little ways. Uh, that subject is divisiveness in the church, and if you turn back to chapter 1 for just a quick review, uh, look at verses 10 through 12 where he kind of introduces this idea he says, I appeal to you, brothers. Again, he's not, he's not an enemy. He's not an adversary here. He's acknowledging that they are brothers and sisters in the Lord's family. Nevertheless, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And he goes on and has been talking about this ever since. Divisiveness in the church. You know, the Corinthians thought that they were pretty smart, uh, pretty intelligent when it comes to worldly wisdom. The people in Corinth valued that. They called it gnosis, a special knowledge. And uh, that was a big deal there. They prided themselves on that. But Paul said, down in verse 25 there of chapter 1, the foolishness of God is what? Wiser than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And what is that foolishness? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, in the, the previous verses, that it's about him preaching Christ crucified. That simple, plain message is what changes the world. You know, the Corinthians loved to boast about their special knowledge, their special insights that they thought that they had. But Paul says in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 1 that they should remember their calling remember that when Jesus plucked them away from the fire as it were they were not noble not many noble right he says he says he God chooses the weak God chooses the lowly God chooses the despised why well he gives us the answer in verse 29 so that no one can boast in the presence of God. Stop your boasting, Paul said. You know, Corinthians were all about who, who is the most eloquent when it comes to speaking? Who is the most charismatic personality? Who do the crowds flock to, to listen to? But Paul says in chapter 2 to remember his example and his simple message. Again, what is it? Chapter 2, verse 2. Christ and Him crucified. There it is again. Why? Verse 5, so that your faith would rest in the power of God and not the wisdom of men. And there are churches all over this country and all over the world that have been built on personalities and eloquence of certain speakers. And I follow this person and I follow this person. And when that person falls or dies, or is off the scene, the church crumbles because it's not built in the power of God. It's built on the wisdom of men. 
And then Paul begins to build a theological foundation in chapter 2. In other words, he's telling them, you you, got to stop living this way. This is what you need to do to solve your problems. And and then he takes a little break and he gives them kind of a theological grounding that will help them to live the right way. And and he says there that uh, there's a reason why some people can't get it when it comes to the gospel. There's a reason why some people can't, can't live the way that they should. And it's because they don't have the Spirit. They're natural people, carnal people, fleshly people. And the Word of God is a spiritual matter. And it's handled by people who have the Spirit. And, and he goes into all of this in great detail in chapter 2, but he finishes in verse 16 by saying, but Christians have the mind of Christ. Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. So, what is your problem? Why are you acting this way? Why are you quarreling? Why are you boasting? Well, he goes on in chapter 3 to, to really start to dig down even deeper. And he says, the Corinthians are babies. Infants, only able to take in milk. This does not mean, as we saw, that they are not understanding truth. It doesn't have to do with their intellect, their ability to grasp important principles. It means that they are not living the truth that they know. You can have a lot of head knowledge which puffs you up and makes you a boaster, and makes you look down on everybody else around you, and be a spiritual baby. Because you're not living out what you know. What was the evidence of that? In chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul told them, because what is in you, Corinthians, you that are quarreling, you that are being divisive, jealousy and strife are in your hearts. It's not what you don't know. It's what's in your heart that needs to be repented of. And then Paul goes into this beautiful imagery, in, uh, starting in verse 5, coming to our text today, where he's, he's continuing to build up their theological understanding about why it is that they should not live this way and instead live a different way. He's bringing correction to these quarreling Corinthians. He tells them in verse 6 that, that Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. And this first picture was that. Of, he says, you're, you're like a field. You're like a garden. Do you remember when we dealt with that? And, and of course, we started out that way, didn't we? We started out in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And, and, and he's bringing this idea back that the Corinthians are like a, a garden. You're being grown like crops are grown and some people are planting that seed other people are watering that seed but the only one who really matters in the process is God the one who gives the growth and then he changes metaphors in verse um uh, in verse uh, 10 and he talks about the fact of how the Corinthians are are also like a building 
right? He introduces that in verse 9. He's like this building, this building that God is making. You are God's building. God is the architect. Remember we talked about that? The foundation of this building is Jesus and, and his work on the cross and in the tomb on our behalf. The builders have to be careful then, Paul says, what materials you're using to build. Remember we talked about the gold, silver, precious stones, the wood, hay, stubble. There's a day coming, right, when the work will be inspected, the building will be inspected, it will be judged. the, The picture is it will be passed through a fire and anything that doesn't last will be burned up. And... And we, we talked about last week how, how this was dealing with the materials which were not told gold equals this and silver equals this, but we're, but we're assuming because of what he's been talking about in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 so far that Paul is dealing with how they interact with each other, how they, their motives behind what they say and what they do, their, their methodology it can't be worldly. It can't, it can't match the world's way of doing things. It has to be God's way of doing things. And, and so we have to be careful how we build this really precious building that belongs to God. We have to be careful how we do it. There will be rewards and there will be losses. And now we're at this week's little text. Just two verses. A question and a warning. And, and really, the climax of Paul's illustration is here that he's been building all through chapter 3 so far. So just two points this morning. The first, the question. Don't you know? Don't you know? Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? It's actually two questions, isn't it? You know, if you think back through the Old Testament, there's only one building that I'm aware of that had a foundation laid and was built with gold and silver and precious stones and inscriptions and carvings of all kinds of garden pictures like flowers and palm trees and lilies and gourds. Do you know what that building was? Solomon's temple, that's right. Go back and read 1 Kings chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. You'll see all the details laid out there. That temple, Solomon's temple, was still in existence when Paul wrote this letter. Now, the the temple that Solomon had, of course, built had, had been destroyed at the exile, but another temple had been raised in its place, even bigger than the previous one. This was raised by Herod, and it was still there. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it's still, Paul Paul doesn't pass off the scene until the the mid-60 A.D. from what what we know of history. And and the temple in Jerusalem isn't going to be destroyed by the Romans until 70 A.D. And so this temple is still in existence as Paul is telling them, you are... God's temple, they, they have a picture in their mind, but, but Paul didn't say, y'all need to get in your chariots and on your horses and in your boats and book it over to Jerusalem to get to that temple to meet with God. Did he? Why? Because God wasn't dwelling there anymore. 
That's the real key, by the way, to what the temple of God is all about. It was the place where God dwelled with his people. And again, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis, and you can see how the Garden of Eden was laid out from west to east, the gates that are there, the, the, the commands that God gave to Adam to, to keep it and guard it are the same two commands that he gave to the priests in, in guarding and keeping the tabernacle. This was a place where God dwelled with his people. It started in a garden. Along the way, with Moses and the people coming out of exile in Egypt, it, w- it, w- it would take place in a tent, a mobile tent, an expensive tent that they would pack up and move with them in their wanderings through the wilderness for 40 years. And in that tent, God dwelled with his people. And then when Solomon eventually was allowed to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, again, the glory cloud came and filled the Holy of Holies. God dwelled with his people. But then something changed, didn't it? And if you read some of those Old Testament prophets, uh, including the book of Ezra, plug for Bible community reading this coming week, um, you'll know that it's at, the, at a point in time, God's glory left the temple. It's talked about in great detail in those chapters. And it didn't come back. But God came back, didn't he? John chapter 1 tells us that the Word the Son, the Lord Jesus, came and dwelt among us. John 1.14, that word dwelt is the word tabernacled. And God came and Jesus was that temple. Do you remember he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up? And they were like, what? What are you talking about? You can't destroy this temple. It took hundreds of years to, to make this temple. But he wasn't talking about the building, was he? He's talking about himself. He called himself the temple. Why? Because it was where God was dwelling with his people. Jesus was God dwelling with his people on the earth in bodily form. Amazing. And now something else has happened. Jesus ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, and he sent a comforter, the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, which we're coming up to quickly in the the Christian calendar. And on that day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down and indwelt the church. You remember that day in Acts chapter 2? And from that moment on, as the Spirit of God, who is God, dwelt in the church, the church became God's temple. And that's why he says here, you are God's temple. In fact, do you not know that you are God's temple? I love the fact that, uh, just before we go on, I love the fact that there is a, a great Trinitarian emphasis in this text. Did you notice it? Back in, uh, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 3, verse uh, 9, talks about uh, God... Um, uh, where he was the architect, where he was, uh, it's his field, it's his building. That's God the Father. Uh, back in, in verse 6, God gave the growth. And then I love how the foundation of this building is 
the Son, the Lord Jesus. And now, here in our text today, we have a reference to who? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, taking up residence in the church. It's a beautiful picture of Father, Son, and Spirit at work in this great um, building that the Lord is building. When he says, do not know, do you not know, it's likely sarcastic. Paul's likely being sarcastic with the Corinthians here, you know, because they prided themselves on their knowledge. And so Paul's like, uh, did you miss this one? Do you not know? It's a phrase that will be used nine more times in the letter to the Corinthians. And it usually goes along with something that's really serious and at the same time, something the Corinthians already known, already knew. And this is something they already knew. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit was taught by Jesus himself to his disciples. It was part of the body of teaching that was passed down to the apostles. The apostles taught this. Paul spent 18 months with the Corinthians, we read in Acts chapter 18. I guarantee you, he had taught them about the teachings of Jesus in those 18 months. That's what he did. It wasn't that they didn't know. It was that the truth that they knew wasn't making any difference in the way that they lived. Thus, the warning. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So if the first point is, don't you know? Don't you know? Then the second point is, don't you dare. Don't you dare. This is the fourth, what, what we might call an if-then argument. It's a conditional argument in this section. And it's the most extreme of all the arguments. See, the first one was back in verse 12. You see it there? If, there's the if, if anyone builds on the foundation, the then part is each one's work will become manifest. Okay? So that's kind of good. Okay, that tells us what we need to do, right? Uh, verse 13. If, if the work that you do in building, if that work survives, he'll receive a reward. Okay, we like that one. Uh, verse 14, if anyone's work, there's the if again, if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. In fact, remember we talked about last week, he would be saved, right? Still a Christian, we're still dealing with Christians, but only as through fire. Just, just your own salvation is secure. All those works burned away because they, the, the, they weren't built in accordance with the right foundation. But now we have the most severe of all of them, verse 17. If anyone 